0: The order of the city reflects the order in man's soul. There's a symbiotic relationship between the city, the civitas, our civilization, and the soul. When there's disorder in the city, it seeps in and infects the soul. When there is disorder in the soul, it overflows and disrupts the city. A central part of our civilizational crisis is the inner collapse of patriotism. As a historian at the University of Dallas, I teach an informed patriotism, both to American civilization and to Western civilization, the Greco-Roman Judeo-Christian culture that formed the rich soil out of which American civilization grew. The University of Dallas is a small Christian liberal arts college with two campuses, one in the great state of Texas, land of the free, and another campus in Rome, students learn a capacious patriotism, which embraces not only the American founding, civil war, greatest generation, but what Russell Kirk referred to in his classic text, Roots of the American Order, as the five heritage cities of American culture, Jerusalem, Athens, Rome, and London. We sit on a little hill in Irving, what they call hills in Texas. Um, We don't actually have hills in Texas. Um, In our neighborhood they call it Las Colinas, uh, the the little hills. We sit on a little hill in Irving overlooking the Dallas skyline in the distance. We sit also on a hill outside of Rome. Students are a little taken aback when they realize that our Rome campus is not actually in Rome. It's in the Alban Hills, the hills where Aeneas first came when he fled Troy. From our villa in the Alban Hills, from the gazebo in our vineyard where we make our own wine, we can see the city of Rome with all of its domes, including Michelangelo's dome of the largest church on planet Earth, St. Peter's Basilica. From these vantage points, the student has the leisure to step outside of the city in order to study the order of the city and its symbiotic relationship to the kind of soul it helps forge within us. The traffic patterns, immigration patterns, commerce and culture and government the relative health of the monarchical executive, the aristocratic judiciary, and the democratic legislature. And looking within, they discover the health of the regime within, intellect, will, and passions. The disorder that we have most recently witnessed in our cities, the frenzy of hatred for American statues and monuments, is indicative of a disorder in the soul. The central moral muscle, the central spiritual muscle of our inner physique has disappeared. This is the muscle of piety, the threefold piety to God, father, and country. The central image of Western civilization has been the figure of Pious Aeneas. As Virgil presents him to us, fleeing burning Troy, bringing his father and his son, and the gods of his household and city, he represents the spiritual strength of man, not physical prowess on the battlefield, but the strength to shoulder the burden of piety to those who depend on and p- to those we depend on and pity towards those who depend on us he is el hombro el hombre con hombros right? in in spanish it's a redundancy a redundancy to say that a man has shoulders he is defined by his shoulders and his capacity to shoulder these burdens in bernini's famous sculpture in the villa borghese in rome The marble form of Aeneas is a spiral. He twists upwards to carry his father and his father's gods, the Lares and Penates of Troy, and downwards to his son, who is carrying the hearth fire of the gods of Troy. This central twist in the marble, the muscular torso as it twists in the central agon or struggle of the human person, shows us virtue, the highest form of justice. The highest form of justice is not a tit-for-tat, egalitarian, contractual exchange with an equal. The highest form of justice is piety upwards towards those natural societies we depend on, the family, the nation, and the church, and pity downwards towards those who depend on us, children, the elderly, the sick, the poor. These are primary ligaments of society, the ties that bind. A very young and yet very mature George Washington, George Washington in his 20s, returning from his service to, in the Virginia militia in the French and Indian War, having married the wealthy heiress, Martha Custis, and having inherited Mount Vernon from his half-brother, settled in immediately and sent abroad to London for a small sculptural group of Pious Aeneas, fleeing Troy with his father, Anchises, and the household gods of Troy we still have his receipt for the purchase. Along with owning this central image of Western civilization, Washington also had in his library at Mount Vernon a copy of the book which has become the central textbook of moral philosophy throughout the Middle Ages and in both Britain and the British colonies in the 17th and 18th centuries. Cicero's book on duties. De Marcus Tullius Cicero's Deo officis, or as the 18th century liked to uh, refer to it, um, kind of colloquially, just Tully's offices. Um, Cicero's book on duties. This is also a book that John Locke, in his treatise on education, said was the most important, significant book to place in the hands of the young. Cicero, the Roman orator and lawyer, political philosopher, who opposed Julius Caesar, had become St. Thomas Aquinas' go-to footnote for a handy-dandy definition of natural law. Whenever St. Thomas just needs you know, to, to cite a definition of natural law, he goes to Cicero's book De Invenzione, book two, 53. Justice is a habit of mind that attributes its proper dignity to everything, preserving a due regard to the general welfare. Its first principles proceed from nature, Subsequently, some practices became established by universal custom from a consideration of their utility. Afterwards, the fear of the laws and religion sanctioned proceedings that originated in nature and had been approved of by custom. Natural law is that which has not had its origin in the opinions of men, but has been implanted by some innate instinct like religion, affection, gratitude, revenge, attention to one's superiors, and truth. Focusing particularly on religion and affection, Cicero says, religion is that which causes men to pay attention to and to respect with fixed ceremonies a certain superior nature which men call divine nature. Affection is that feeling under the influence of which kindness and careful attention is paid to those who are united to us by ties of blood or who are devoted to the service of their country. In this Ciceronian natural law tradition, which is both a classical and Christian natural law tradition, the virtue of justice quite simply requires love of our nation. The nation, like the family and the church, is one of the three natural communities, the three necessary societies that are constitutive of our very human nature. I like to imagine three intersecting circles, the family, the nation, and the church converging on the person. Deracinated cosmopolitan modern man tends to imagine that we arrive on this earth as a lone individual and that the only groups we belong to are egalitarian and contractual, motivated by our own self-interest. But in reality, each person emerges from pre-existing communities. Each person is birthed forth, already indebted and obligated for the very conditions of their existence. Man is a naturally social animal. Aristotle described man as a political animal. It is Thomas Aquinas on the other hand, who always likes to remind us that man is a social animal, that he belongs to communities that are antecedent to and prior in obligation than the state. Thus, man's natural obligations to family, nation, and church, his duty of filial piety, patriotism, and religious veneration arise from rational reflection on his own existential condition of dependence. Let us pause for a moment to bask in the light of this insight into the human condition. This is not a political ideology, a description of how things should be or ought to be in a perfect utopian world. This is political realism, taking into account the reality of human nature. Each of these circles or societies are dominated by some non-negotiable relations of the human person. Let us look at the family first. Just as surely as every human person has a mother and a father, biologically, as the source of their DNA, whether they were conceived in a Petri dish through artificial insemination from an egg donor in a sperm bank, or through the the gloriously old-fashioned natural procreative act, every human being has a mother and a father. Every human person also has a here and a now. And this is where we turn to the nation, Every human person has a time and a place, a birth date and a birthplace. It is not possible to be a bodily reality without extension in space and time, and we all began our temporal spatial existence sometime, somewhere. Much as I might wish to live in first century Palestine or 13th century France, I cannot escape the reality of being born in 1970s Chicago, and the church In America, we tend to think that every small town has a main street intersecting with a church street, and that on that church street, you can find the Episcopalian Church, the Presbyterian Church, the Lutheran Church, the Methodist Church, the Baptist Church, the Church of Seventh-day Adventists, the Catholic Church, and that you choose your church. But every human has a relation to all that is, the entire panoply of being, the cosmos, a particular unique relation, to every original thought and every speck of stardust in the Milky Way, and thus they have a relation to the first and final cause of all that is, the why and the wherefore, the efficient cause and the telos, the alpha and the omega. These three sets of existential relations, to a mother and father, to a time and place, to a beginning and end of all things, delineate the three communities that are constitutive of our being, family, nation, and church the older moral tradition referred to them simply as duties of piety to god father and country but in reality these are not simple but complex multivalenced relations the family relation is already twofold a connection to both a mother and a father and through them to two sets of grandparents with a spreading family tree of aunts and uncles siblings and cousins the family relation ought perhaps more probably properly be called la familia in Spanish, or even better, la familia, in Italian. A word that better captures the extensive and intensive kinship network, ties of kith and kin, a clan. It is through this family relation that eventually we find ourselves related to the entire of humanity. We are human because of our human parentage. The family is, in Aristotelian terms, the formal cause of our being. It is the cause of our taking the form of human, a member of the human race. The nation is a similarly complex reality encompassing both right of blood and right of soil. jus sanguinis and jus solis. You are American if you are born of American parents anywhere in the world. You are American if you are born on American soil of any parentage whatsoever. A nation is not a state, a polis or an imperium. A nation is not the political regime. A nation is something more organic, a mother tongue and a father land the language in which you first described the landscape, the symbiotic relationship between time and place, language and culture. Your nation is the time and place of your nativity, your native land, the land where your father spilled his seed and your mother shed her blood to bring you to birth, land where my fathers died, we sing, land where I was born. Love of nation is not political allegiance to a regime, but loyalty to language and land. Similarly, one can have both a rational relationship with God, the Father, as the cause of all that is. In 18th century terms, they would just refer to him as the great parent of the universe. But we can also have a fervent relationship of faith in the great cloud of witnesses that make up Holy Mother Church. We can have discerned rationally, like Aristotle, the need for a first and final cause, an unmoved mover, but we may also have listened to wisdom literature that comes with an embedded claim of divine revelation through reason and through faith. We try to discern the true relation between the human and that which we call divine. No one in their right mind thinks that you can simply choose or join a church because they have better fellowship or liturgy like parents and country. God preexists us as a cause of our being and our relation is one of discernment, not of choice we discern the truest account of the divine and the most fitting way of worship. The nation, the church, and the family are not perfect communities. They are real communities. We cannot be revolutionaries. We must be patriots. As Burke warned us in his Reflections on the Revolution in France, in one of his purple passages, when he's uh, most flamboyant, To avoid, therefore, the evils of inconstancy, impiety, infidelity, 10,000 times worse than those of obstinacy and blindest prejudice, we have consecrated the nation that no man should approach to look into its defects or corruptions, but with due caution, that he should never dream of beginning its reformation by its subversion, and that he should approach to the faults of the nation as to the wounds of a father, with pious awe and trembling solicitude. By this wise prejudice, we are taught to look with horror on those children of their country who are prompt rashly to hack that aged parent to pieces and put him into the kettle of magicians in hopes that by their poisonous weeds and wild incantations, they may regenerate the paternal constitution and renovate their father's life. So in closing, I would like to echo Yoram Hazoni and invite all of us as we survey the disorder in the city The chaos of our civilization, to look inward as well. How is the health of that piety muscle within ourselves, and how do we raise the next generation in the virtue which has been the virtue of both classical and Christian civilization throughout the ages? Thank you.